doesn't really look excellent. It looks broken. And what do I do with that as a leader? What do I do with that just as a human? How do I continue to cast light on the gospel, the good news, what I believe is the best message, while at the same time acknowledging the reality of my significant losses? Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm with my co-host, David Bloom. Hey, man. Hey. This episode, we're going to talk about something that may not be the most fun, but I'm telling you is currency, is gold today. And it is loss, grief, and the resilience that comes from that. So um, I could say, hey, David, what have you lost in this season? Or what are you disappointed about? Or what are you grieving? And probably come up with a hundred things if we spend time on that. But I want to kind of focus in on how does loss and grief shape us? So Michelle Kashat is going to share her story of that. And she has sort of grief upon grief and loss upon loss, but tons of hope. And she comes at this kind of weathered perspective of hope, not just throwing it out there, not just saying inspiring words, but really is hopeful, although she's been through a lot of loss. David, we could go any direction about the losses from leaders, but what's one particular loss that you're seeing leaders face right now? Something that struck me, is this illusion of control that I think we've lived with because especially in coaching and leadership, a lot of it is clarity and direction. And, um, we do, we, we have things that we can control and we talk about controlling the controllables and, uh, you know, letting go of the things that we can't control. But this season has been just a punch in the gut as far as our sense of control. And it's been an illusion, but there is a pain and a grief when you have plans, when you have maybe a, a sense that you uh, have kind of hit a rhythm or a stride as a leader and things are going well and you're seeing growth and you're seeing um, uh, accomplishments that you were going after. And then that begins to you know, be completely disruptive. That is a, that is a loss for us in this season. And it's one that I think we don't necessarily know how to recover from, um, because that illusion of control is so strong as leaders, especially if we've been, uh, successful in the last season to be hit by this is a major difficulty. And so there's a, a resilience that, that needs to, um, come from this if we're going to continue to push through in this season of disorientation and chaos. But that's what I've seen. I've seen a lot of leaders, myself included, wrestling with this kind of this dis or this illusion of control that's been kind of uh, the, the foundation has been cracked, so to speak. And I think it's disorienting. I, uh, it's, it's funny cause it wasn't funny at the time. It's one of those that comedy equals tragedy plus time. Um, as COVID was breaking, I was just getting disruptive and disappointed email after disappointed email. It was like, ouch, ouch. I mean, my, my summer, I literally might've said, this is going to be the best summer ever. And then I was just mm -hmm. watching it crumble as like one trip, one opportunity, one speaking engagement, one consulting opportunity with people I really love in places I was excited to go. Some of them bringing my kids along, one of them my wife and I are going to do together and just bam, like all of that falling and realizing that, wow, I had in a good sense, right, controlled this summer, but I lost all that momentum like in a matter of six days. And I had to grieve that loss. And it wasn't funny at all as it was happening. But as I look back and think, man, like that was hard and I had to name it. And um, 
Man, Michelle is, she's an incredible leader. She coaches leaders at the highest level and has for a long time as an executive coach and a consultant. And um, I really believe that God has used that loss in her own life. The loss of some things you'll hear from her, very precious to her. She thought were needed from for her craft and, and from her to be able to give to clients. God really took some of those things away and has given her an incredible perspective. And I believe she's a leader she is today simply because of those losses and because of the resilience to press on. By the way, I think you're going to hear more and more of that word resilience um, here in the near future, adaptability, flexibility, um, being able to pivot, right? That word we've been hearing a ton. Um, And I think that has a whole lot to do with what we've lost what we're grieving, and can we get back up and be resilient leaders in this season? I don't know what's more timely for the middle of the summer than this conversation with Michelle Kashat. She's an incredible leader. She helps many leaders, and I believe that you can resonate deeply with some of the losses that she is grieving and talking about in this episode. Guys, enjoy this conversation, this timely, much-needed conversation with Michelle Kashat. Michelle, thanks for coming on the podcast today. It's great to have you. Uh, Thank you, Alan. I have been so looking forward to this. Well, we're in some similar spaces, uh, which means we're parents right now trying to navigate. (laughs) We're also trying to lead other people through that. And uh, as as coaches, um, we've lost some of our speaking opportunities, influencing opportunities Mm face-to-face across the country. So I think we're probably uh, grieving losing some similar things and also mm-hmm. facing ambiguity of what in the world is next and how do we prepare for it? So I'm excited for this conversation. Whenever we get uh, other coaches on here, I think it's just really fun to, you know, kind of mm-hmm. ping pong back and forth uh, some of those things. But can you just give us a little bit of the context of your life uh, during this yeah. season? Of course, what has changed? Maybe even a couple of those things uh, professionally that you've lost as well during the season. Yeah, well, it's specific to this season. So I, uh, I've, I'm an author and a speaker, a coach and consultant. Have been doing that for ten to fifteen years now, so quite some time. I make my living as a communicator. However, you'll even notice in my speech that I speak with a lisp, and that has its own story. Uh, and it's a long one. We'll keep it very short. But the short of it is, is over the last ten years, I've had cancer three times: cancer of the tongue. Uh, every time I had this cancer recur, it was more significant, more severe, um, more dire than the time before. And the most recent time of which required me to have two thirds of my tongue removed and pretty extreme radiation and chemotherapy on the head and neck, which uh, basically the short of it left me with um, severe scarring and burns on my face and my neck and my chest inside and out uh, that I live with really permanent chronic pain and suffering and physical limitations, disabilities that I'll have for the rest of my life. So, so I live as a speaker who's going through COVID. Um, my entire career changes when all of a sudden we can now not be physically in person with people anymore. So it's very hard to do coaching, consulting, speaking when you can't do that. And then on top of that, I have a very compromised body in the middle of this as well. And so uh, just the threat of physical um, complications and health issues and anything respiratory for me is highly alarming because if I get a respiratory illness, 
uh, I can't breathe and that's a problem. <laughs> um, and so we have professional challenges right now trying to navigate what this looks like, but then we have the very real recurrence of trauma. Let's just call it what it is. Going through a global pandemic is traumatic for all of us, but it taps into my own medical trauma over the last 10 years of not knowing if I would live. And so it's all those layers while trying to raise six kids and be a wife and full-time working <laughs> woman and everything from home. So there you go. Well, well, I don't know what you're doing in all of your spare time uh, these days, Michelle. Yeah. You <laughs> yeah, right? got a ton <laughs> going on, man. Um, so where to start on this? I think it would be helpful to frame our conversation. We're talking about adversity today and our mutual friend, Brian Miles, um, he said, you have to talk to Michelle about mm-hmm. this. Love and so Brian I want to dig in. Yep. And what they've done with Belay is is incredible, is needed mm-hmm. in this season and the next, of course. And um, and just to to think about what leaders can help us frame two things, honest yet hopeful, maybe on one mm-hmm. side as well, people who have lost a lot yet are still grateful. And you fall into that camp, which is a tension that we yes. hold. And so we need your voice yes. right now. We need your posture right now. Thank you for for how you lead in the midst of that because it is a tension that we're holding. So can you share some of the trajectory of your life before the losses of cancer and otherwise just kind of came crashing into your life and your career? Yeah, absolutely. So I've always been a very, very high achiever, uh, did very well in school and, you know, high school, college, everything else, graduated in the top of my class. Um, very much a driven high achiever and, um, also very driven by my faith. So my love for Jesus, my faith, my determination to serve in some kind of ministry capacity has been part of my, um, kind of my wiring as early as I can remember. I've always felt very, very called by God and wanted to get my, commit my life full time to him. And so, you know, kind of what you do, you set out to do it right, you know, quote unquote, right, whatever that is. But I wanted to, I really wanted to serve God well with my life and try to do all the good things and avoid all the bad things, you know, try to be the best I could be. And then in my twenties, basically what happened is I started facing a series of uh, extreme consecutive losses. So I'm 48 now. This started in my early 20s. And so basically for the last 25 years, I've had loss after loss after loss. Everything from uh, oh, an unexpected divorce in my 20s. I was married to a pastor who had a whole second life and left me with a uh, one and a half year old, six days before Christmas. And overnight I became, I went from being a pastor's wife to being a single mom who had to pay her mortgage and car payment and had no career. Right. And so I had that challenge. Uh, then, uh, eventually met my husband that I'm married to now. And we thought we'd make a blended family. Surely that would be easy. And so then I <laughs> had no idea what I was in for, you know, the naivete of youth. And so we created a blended family and then we endured step family, blended family. We went through all kinds of other ministry challenges, things like that. Then, as I mentioned, uh, having cancer three times over. And then in the middle of all of that, raising our boys and, um, going through adolescence with our teenagers and all those kind of uh, challenges that you would expect. We also got a phone call from a relative telling us about three kids who had had a history in uh, a, a drug home. Basically, their biological parents were meth addicts and uh, they had gone through horrific abuse and trauma in their early years. And so it was asked, will you take them? And so overnight, we 
decided to take in twin four-year-olds and a five-year-old right when we were on the verge of empty nest and started parenting kids from trauma, uh, started the parenting journey all over again. So you add all these layers of trauma on top of each other. Uh, and then you add on top of that, the fact that my, what I felt my calling was, was to be a communicator, uh, in the name of Jesus to communicate, to coach other communicators and cancer, the particular kind that I ended up with robbed me of my speech. And so now talking is compromised uh, I have pain every time I talk. Um, I have, I mean, the layers of losses when you lose your ability to speak and eat and swallow and things like that are significant. Uh, and so all of that leaves me here at 48 years old, which is young, right, Alan? It's very, very young, correct? Or, yes, you're just getting started, Michelle. <laughs> just getting started. But that's, you know, that's a lot. And I've only given you the big, the big rocks, right? That's a lot of losses and suffering in 25 years uh, and not at all what I expected. And so trying to reconcile this early passion, desire to serve God and to do it with excellence and then ending up with a life that doesn't really look excellent. It looks broken. And what do I do with that as a leader? What do I do with that just as a human? How do I continue to cast light on the gospel, the good news, what I believe is the best message, while at the same time acknowledging the reality of my significant losses? And that's the question, right? That's why we need you to help lead us, right? We need other people who have lost things and still see the goodness of God in the midst of that. Mm -hmm. And so I love the heart and the core of your story. And as you know, before we hit record here was whether you want to or not, you're an expert in resilience in adversity. And I'm hearing those words all the time, flexibility, adaptability, but resilient leadership in the next season is going to be even more needed than it was in the last. And the reality is we've all lost something. Maybe we lost momentum in our business. Yep, we've lost absolutely. some face-to-face relationships for the time being. We've lost some normalcy. Our kids have lost a lot of things we're guiding them through. So maybe this could be helpful to them. In this season of loss, Michelle, what could be helpful for our listeners to understand about grief and loss? Well, I think you make a really good point. All of us during this current crisis, this, this global pandemic, we've all lost uh, a measure of our innocence, right? We had life, there was a status quo before March when life was, even if we had some challenges, it, it looked a certain way. And then the global pandemic happened and everything was turned upside down on its head. And now when we try, you and I, when we try to even look at the future, imagine the future, we don't even know how to imagine it because everything has so changed. And that's a significant loss. I think that's what surprised so many of us is that, um, at least for me, I've done a lot of work in my own emotional health as a leader, as a woman. I spend, I have had the same therapist for about 15 years. So I take my emotional growth and health very seriously. And yet over the last three months, I have found myself having uh, 
traumatic responses, mood swings, um, irrational moments where I'm reacting to something that seems out of characteristic or out of character for the context of the situation. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? And that was the question I kept going back to. What is wrong with me? Why am I acting this way? And then it occurred to me, there's nothing wrong with you. You are responding to a significant traumatic event. This global pandemic has changed everything for everyone. And that needs to be acknowledged. Our brains are wired up. This is what's so interesting, Alan. Our brains are wired up like a smoke detector. Okay, Our brains are wired up to see and identify danger, to alert us of the danger so we can avoid it. And what happens is, is when we go through something traumatic like this and we don't stop to acknowledge it, the smoke detector continues to go off. You know, you know what happens. 2 a.m., all of a sudden, the smoke, the battery starts to go dead in the smoke detector upstairs, and it wakes you up from a dead sleep, and you try to ignore it, right? You try to pretend like you don't hear it and go back to sleep. Yep. And yep. the truth is, it will not stop beeping until you do something about it. You have to pay attention to it. And when you and I as leaders try to put on a brave front to try to present ourselves as being strong and hopeful all the time and always together, our own brains are going to continue to sound the alarm until we pay attention to them. And we end up seeing that in ways that our leadership starts to crumble a little bit. We react in ways that we know better. We know we shouldn't react in certain, we overreact or we underreact. In other words, our brain is so busy trying to let us know that it senses danger and we're so busy ignoring it that there's a disconnect between us and our executive function. And everybody that I am in relationship with or am coaching, Michelle, who's honest, is saying, I've had extreme mood swings. And it almost always starts with this sort of statement, admission, confession, I'm normally a stable person, but, and so I think that's <laughs> yes. disorienting. I don't know where this is coming from, right? It's the weather's fine today. It's been a good day. Everything's fine, but apparently, boom, something else making its way to the yes. surface. Yes. And you sharing that is a gift because it helps to normalize that um, for us. Totally. What else is helpful? Keep, keep going on that. What else is helpful to know about ourselves as we're facing grief and loss? Well, well, let me just give you an example of even this morning. So at the time of us recording this, um, Rabbi Zacharias, a well-known apologist, Christian apologist, passed away. Uh, and I found myself even this morning, I was on a coaching call with some coaches that I'm developing. I train coaches. And I had a lump in my throat and was on the verge of tears the whole time. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to sit there and go, I'm not normally so emotional. And yet um, it occurred to me, in the season of loss, any additional loss, so we're already in the season of loss if so much of life has become unfamiliar to us. It doesn't take much additional loss for it to trigger additional feelings of mourning and grief and tears. Uh, and I've never met Rabbi Zacharias personally. I have no connection with him other than being inspired by some of his works. But because we're already in a state of loss, it's it's like the, um, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. It doesn't take much for us to feel like we're bleeding out again. I have another good friend who recently her oven died, okay? And she melted down and cried and was falling apart because she didn't have a good oven. <laughs> yep. Is it really about the oven or is it just one more layer of loss? And so acknowledging that when you are, again, that kind of thousand paper cuts, when you're already bleeding, it doesn't take much 
much more of a cut for us to feel like we're we're just dying on the vine. And so to pay attention to that and to be kind to yourself in that place. And sometimes when you feel that lump in your throat, you just need to let it go. You just it's 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 letting you know that you you need to cry or you need to mourn or you need to acknowledge it in some way. And the best thing you can do as a leader, both for yourself but also your people, is to give it voice. Mm. Yes, yes. We need to be talking about that. And again, before we hit record, I was saying that I had just had, I don't know, a 15-minute check-in with a friend. And it just kind of calls and says, for reals, how you doing today? And that's been life to me. It's just a chance to mm-hmm. vent and say, ultimately, I'm okay. Don't don't worry about mm-hmm. me in the cosmic sense. Mm-hmm. And yet, thank you. I just needed to voice that somewhere. And I may feel better yes. in an hour or two, but it's so bizarre to think that way. It's not about the oven. So for you, it's not about your kid's <laughs> worksheet. It's not about your kid's graduation yes. even. It's not about that one little micro loss um, we are losing a lot and change equals loss before it equals opportunity. Uh, and so I, I think just not to compare our pain to somebody else's, we tend to discount, I think the oven situation, well, it's just an oven when other people have lost their life and other things, but there's something below it, um, that's rubbing off on us. It's a, you know, the oven becomes a metaphor for so many other things that have been lost. Right. So it just becomes the most tangible thing that we can see that we can be frustrated over. It's mm-hmm. hard to, you know, we COVID, it's not like we have COVID sitting on our desk that we can point at. It's kind of this nebulous thing out there that's changing our reality forever. Um, but the oven is tangible, so we can look at it and be mad at it. Um, we may find ourselves doing this with the other people in our house. So when life feels out of control, when there are things in our lives that are so far beyond beyond our realm, our reach of control, what we do in order to feel safe again is try to control what we can. And what that often looks like is then we become hypercritical of every single thing our children do right now because we feel so out of control that we are going to, some people will do it by making sure their kids' bedrooms are spotless. They're going to be like white gloving everything because they everything feels so out of control that they're going to control what they, what they do have control over. Um, there's other ways that we do that, but paying attention to how we're responding, responding to the out of control feelings that we're feeling will help us realize how um, we may be becoming control freaks in very unhealthy ways. And what we're doing is not because we're just control freaks. We're just trying to um, give ourselves a sense of agency. Um, and the better way to do it is to find appropriate ways of getting agency rather than killing our children by, <laughs> by, um, by meticulously making sure that everything is perfect all the time. Yeah. Oh man. So, so good and practical and helpful. I'm curious for you, Michelle, what have you learned about God in the midst of your adversity and loss that you don't mm-hmm. think you could have learned any other way? Well, you probably won't like my answer very well. In fact, most listeners probably won't. But this is truly probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned um, is, is that pain and suffering is not our enemy. Uh, John Piper said, uh, do not begrudge the school of suffering. And I think of that quite often. We, This American mindset that we have, this kind of Western civilization affluent mindset is that we have an expectation of comfort. And so we view every source of pain as a problem to be solved. 
and and yes, obviously, we are not masochists. We don't need to live in pain all the time. However, not every source of pain is just something that we need to numb or get rid of. Sometimes pain is the best teacher that we have. And those who are, um, I, or I can just say this for me, when I learn to lean into pain and rather than try to numb it or run from it or hide from it, but try to learn from it some way to not begrudge that school of suffering to somehow lean into it, um, then it finds meaning. Uh, you know, one of the most important keys to developing resilience, okay, resilience is a skill. It's not something that you're just born with or born without. Resilience is something that can be built. It can be developed, okay? And the only way to develop resilience is to find yourself in a situation where you need it. And if we run out of the situations that cause us to discomfort too quickly, we don't d- develop resilience, it's kind of like working out at the gym. If you want to build muscle mass, the only way to build muscle mass is to intentionally put resistance against your muscles. Tension, literally the much, tension there. Tension. The tension has to be there to develop strength and muscle mass. A lack of tension is not going to build strength. And the same is true. We know this. I mean, we know this about working out at the gym. We know this about running marathons, that there has to be a, a measure of discomfort to develop resilience. And the, tr- the same is true for us emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, that resilience is a skill. And the only way to develop is to develop it is to f- to land in situations that require it so you can exercise that skill of resilience. And that means, and back to your question, I've had to learn that, you know, I've been praying for most of my life for wisdom and for strength, resilience. Those are prayers that I've prayed. And then I got angry and upset at God when I found myself in 25 years of unrelenting suffering. (laughs) And while my feelings were valid, the truth is, is the very thing that I wanted to go away was the means to accomplish what I had been praying for all along. Wow. That you would have chosen different means, but that's exactly the way God chose. Hmm. And Uh, I would never have, again, I would not choose pain. Nobody, you know, we're not, we're not foolish. We're not going to run into suffering. However, when we find ourselves in it, how can we leverage it to develop the skill of resilience, just like we would at the gym? How can we leverage this to develop strength? Um, You know, when I think about developing resilience, the keys to developing resilience, one is, um, is we have to find some sense of meaning or purpose in it. And when we see our suffering as having some kind of meaning or purpose, okay, even if it's, if, even if, if it's unjust, if it's wrong, I'm not saying that cancer is a wonderful gift. That's not what I'm saying. But if we can find meaning and purpose in it, then it's not wasted suffering. It's a means to resilience. Again, tension. It's not to explain it away on one side. We could easily fall to one side of the ditch or the other. That often painful place to stand is in the middle and say, this is tension. So, Michelle, this is like a zoom out moment. For you guys listening, zoom out and almost in an otherworldly sense, see ourselves out of body experience to say, I am growing right now. I mean, it's grow or die right now. I don't know a human or a leader that is not growing right now. And I would guess if you're listening to this, you're intent on growth because we're not just talking about soft and fuzzy subjects. 
here on the podcast. <laughs> so thank you for that that gift, Michelle. I think to me is perspective to say, I needed this. I needed this conversation. I needed to hear this. We mm. are all being stretched and this is what it feels like. It doesn't just hurt while you're working out. It really hurts the next morning afterwards, right? Yeah. Um, before that's, we begin I mean, to it, kind of get in the rhythm. Yeah, every day. I mean, that's one thing I have to remember every day because um, I, I don't have pain-free days really anymore. And and trying to, dis, you know, I sit there and say, all right, I can either choose to be a victim of this and sit back and passively just receive it, or I can somehow leverage this and I have to decide. And really as leaders, that's our position. Like you said, we stand on the fulcrum between the between acknowledging the grief and loss and yet still casting light on hope. And the beautiful, the best light casters, the best people who cast light also know the darkness. And when we can stand with one foot in the reality of the human condition that is experiencing grief and loss, and we can acknowledge the truth of that and yet still determine to leverage it to to see the purpose and the agency and the the sense of meaning or purpose and all of that, then that's really where we lead. That's how we cast light is by knowing what the darkness feels like and then setting light, casting light on what's up ahead. And let's uh let's turn this external. Not only are we processing grief and loss right now, everyone around us is. Our kid is, yes. our friend is, a relative who's literally lost someone that they cannot go to a live funeral. People are losing like real weddings right now. Yeah. They're doing them over Zoom. So if we are the friend or spouse to someone who is in grief, what are some really practical ways we can be helpful right now? Well, to begin with is not to take things personal. Uh, you know, being when we are in a place of grief and loss, when we feel raw, like raw open, imagine a raw open wound, it doesn't take much of a touch for us to feel wounded again, right? So being aware of the fact that we're all a bit raw less right now. And so from that standpoint, don't take personal when people react poorly. Uh, we're in a place of global trauma. People are going to behave poorly at times. So are you. <laughs> so let's just have a whole lot of grace. The best thing you can do for a, a person who's in a trauma response. So when you know, executive function is the frontal, the prefrontal cortex of your brain is where executive function lies. And that's where you make good, logical decisions. However, when we're in a place of distress or danger or trauma, we go down to the emotional, the limbic system, the emotional part of the brain and the brain stem, the lizard brain. And that's where we have the fight, flight, freeze responses. When somebody is in a fight, flight, freeze response, you cannot reason with them. So telling them that they're behaving badly in that place is not going to help. The only way to reconnect the prefrontal cortex with the lizard brain, to reconnect all those parts and help that executive function to come back down and sit and to make good decisions is to create safety. And, and safety only happens when you choose to connect before you correct. This is a, a phrase that um, Dr. Daniel Siegel has used and many other trauma experts have used, but you have to connect before you correct. And realizing that when people are in fight, flight, freeze, they just need to know I'm here. I see you. I'm not going anywhere. You're safe. And if we can become that safe, stable, significant other for other people, um, then, then what happens is then the fight, flight, freeze goes down, the executive brain function goes up, and then we can have a conversation. Now, the same is true for ourselves. When we find ourselves, that's part of what our responsibility as leaders is, is to be self-aware enough to go, 
yeah, that was a total fight, flight, freeze response. I, I was somewhat irrational. And to go back and say, you know what, I overreacted right there. I'm not entirely sure where that came from, but I want you to know I acknowledge it and I'm working through it and create some conversations around what that looks like. I, to me, one of the best things that can come from this whole situ- current situation is uh, uh, trauma literacy for more of the population, for us to really understand how we are emotional, physical, spiritual humans who do react to wounds. And if we can learn how to be more literate about what that looks like and how we respond, we will all be more emotionally healthy as leaders and individuals. Well, friends, if you're listening to this, you've survived. You survived a crazy season of life and leadership. What's clear to me right now is we are in the wilderness. We've gone off the path and we are bushwhacking through the wilderness, trying to find trails and asking, what is ahead? What is this new different that we are stepping into in late summer and fall and beyond? And truthfully, we don't know. We don't know how this thing is going to move and what decisions we're going to have to make. But I will tell you this, it will require strong leadership. It will require decisions of you that you haven't made before. And I want to walk alongside of you in your leadership journey. I call myself a mountain guide for the leadership journey. And guys, as you navigate the wilderness, let me remind you, don't do this alone. Don't do this alone. Me and our other Stay Forth coaches are here to help you as you navigate these treacherous times as we head into the great unknown. Whether you are a business leader, a ministry leader, nonprofit leader, pastor, if you are a kingdom leader, you're going to continue to have to navigate tough decisions. Now, I know that coaching can be expensive to invest in our 10 tools and 10 sessions coaching process, but we've created an alternative for you that's a coaching subscription. You can pay on a monthly basis. We have a basic plan and a hearty plan. I'll walk alongside of you with regular coaching sessions, check-ins over the phone, and in-time decision-making. You know that decision that you have to make that week and you're feeling the pressure of? How good would it feel to have somebody in your corner to help you make those decisions? Also have some communication with you on Marco Polo for those back and forth in between. So we believe that this can help us care for leaders even better in this season to help you make your next right step and for us to be a little bit more accessible than just a call every week or every other week. So this coaching subscription, you can find out more about this. It's got an easy price point, honestly, a great entry point for coaching. It's not right for everybody, but some of you listening could gain so much from this coaching subscription as we continue to navigate the wilderness heading into the fall. Check out more on this at stayforth.com backslash coaching. Again, check out our coaching subscription. Spots are limited, but I would love to walk alongside of you in your leadership journey. And especially, I I think to the leader, it hits us because we feel like we need to take care of other people as we're processing out ourselves. And we think, oh, I'll take care of myself later, maybe this weekend, maybe my next Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And often we don't get to ourselves and we keep leading Mm -hmm. uh, in Mm -hmm. that place where we, we actually haven't processed it ourselves. It's interesting. We had John Eldridge come on the podcast. The favorite thing that he said was just so normalizing. And he said, we're all just experiencing trauma right now. And you say it here again, that's helpful to know that's what's going on inside of me, that this is not how I would choose to react. This is not, uh, you know, the emotional stability perhaps that we're known for. Uh, There's not safety in our routines right now. So just so helpful, Michelle, to talk through that for any human listening. Um, 
Talk just a little bit. Let us peek into your most recent book, Relentless. Uh, What's the core message of that book? Oh, well, the core message is that we often equate the presence of pain with the absence of God. But what if God is not only not absent in our pain, but even pressing more closely to it? What if our pain is actually like the intersection of the cross, the place of closest connection that we find with God himself? Because it's there that the divinity of heaven meets the humanity of earth and we are saved. Mm. Wow. So good. Guys, pick up Michelle's book, uh, Relentless. It's interesting, even you're describing God as relentless. And I think a lot of the self-help culture today is be relentless. You know, you be be brave and be courageous. And we, yes. we should, but we are being pursued by a God that we can't shake if we want to. And that is and so that's helpful to me right now. That's really what this book is about, because the truth is, is I reached the end of myself. So as, as determined as I am, after 25 years of unrelenting suffering, I finally, I, I lost my will to live. I lost my fight. Uh, and so for so many years, I had brought into the maxim of, well, you just need to persevere. You just, you can't be a quitter. You just have to be determined. And I realized that, um, that human capacity has its limits. That we do reach a level of suffering that is beyond our ability to bootstrap ourselves through. That means that ultimately we are not relentless. We have limits and we have capacities that when we reach them, we're done. However, we have a God who is relentless. And so even when our circumstances take us under and we don't have, we don't even have the straight strength to reach for him, he reaches for us. And that's the beauty. I mean, that's really what the gospel is about, that while we were yet sinners, while we had nothing to offer, while we had nothing to give, he gave it all. Well, thanks for that. And again, thanks for your posture. You're holding space for us. Uh, to talk about things we don't normally like to in the midst of it's all good right now. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. not all good right now. It's hard. Almost all of it's hard right now. So thank you for that, Michelle. Uh, Normally we ask about practices that sustain a healthy life and leadership space for you, but let's zoom in a little bit. During um, this last few months where life has been absolutely turned upside down, your home has been turned upside down, what have been a few habits uh, that have mm-hmm. helped to keep you healthy during this time? Oh, that's such a great question. It's super important. So uh, when it comes to dealing with trauma, trauma is a sense, you know, by definition is a sense of helplessness that comes from unexpected circumstances that you have no control over. So, uh, so one, you know, two of the, the most important um, responses to trauma are one to schedule what you can. So when everything feels out of sorts, do what you can to have some kind of routine so that, you know, every day I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, or I'm going to do this at this time. Uh, and for me, that's been going for a walk outside. Uh, I have, uh, because I am, have so many health challenges. I'm so high risk. I really can't be around people. And so I went from traveling weekly to basically being at home nonstop. So getting out of my house and going for a walk in the sunshine has been absolutely essential for me. Uh, It helps me to realize that there is still a big world out there that helps me to see beyond just the tininess of my home. uh, And and just to get the sunshine on my skin and to get fresh air has been really, really key. Uh, Another important aspect of, of facing trauma is getting a sense of physical agency that you feel strong 
Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who is a trauma expert, talks about this. Um, so I've even added running into my walking schedule as a means to say, hey, I, I'm not going to be a victim here. I'm going to do what I can to be even stronger. And so doing more running, things like that. From a spiritual standpoint, the practices I'm adding in are uh, simply adding in about 10 minutes of contemplative centering prayer where I'm not trying to check Bible study off a to-do list. I'm not trying to uh, accomplish any like huge list of spiritual practices, but sitting quiet still 10 minutes in the presence of God and just allowing myself to, to be held by him and to, to find comfort in his presence. And um, that is kind of like an anchor in my day. Everything else feels like chaos, but it's like the, it's like the stake in the sand that really helps me to feel anchored no matter the chaos that's happening around me. Mm. Well, thanks for that. And uh, Michelle, thank you for the way that you live and the way you lead, the way you hold tension for the rest of us, but also for, for spending precious breath on us today. That's not lost on me to know that it even hurts to, to speak and for investing in us and our listeners today. And I wonder if you may maybe just leave us with an encouragement or two uh, for, for listeners today, again, we've all lost something and unfortunately you've become an expert in loss. So would you just leave us maybe with an encouragement, um, or a prayer for those people who are listening today? Oh, well, so many of you who are listening today are leaders and I know that you feel pressure to lead well, exactly where you are, uh, to take care of the people that, are uh, your responsibility. I, I just know, I feel a sense of commitment and responsibility and love for my people. And I really want to lead them well and serve them well. But the one thing I want you to hear before we leave today is that you also matter too. Uh, as a leader, your griefs and losses need to be acknowledged. And maybe they can't be acknowledged in the context of your team. Maybe you cannot fully express the extent of your losses in front of, um, indiscriminately in front of everyone. However, uh, it, your people also need to see that you're human and vulnerable as well. Uh, and, uh, and your losses, your pain is worthy of being acknowledged too. And you will be such a better leader, such a more compassionate leader for the people around you. Uh, when you have been kind to yourself, when you've um, made it a priority to acknowledge and, uh, and grieve and mourn the losses that you've experienced, there's strength in that. There's beautiful strength in that. And then you'll be able, you know, when you've acknowledged that you'll be able to hold space for others as well. Um, and so don't, uh, don't make the mistake of thinking that strength requires you to ignore your own grief. Uh, that's just a lie. And it's not true. Real strength is being able to acknowledge your grief and then continue to cast light for the people around you at the same time. Wow. Michelle, thank you for that. I needed that. Our listeners needed that. Thanks for coming by and investing uh, in our listeners today. As we close this podcast, I want to encourage you to think of this time, even though it's chaotic and painful, as an opportunity to start developing healthy rhythms in our life. We've been given a completely new schedule, some maybe some margin that you didn't have before. You are now stuck with your family 
And this is actually an opportunity to start developing some healthy rhythms in your life. And so I want to encourage you as you go about your days to start thinking about what are the ways that I can actually take advantage of this season to to really build in healthy habits. Because it takes about 30 days to develop a habit. And we've been given that time, whether we wanted it or not. And so thanks for listening to the podcast. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. So long.